So I'm a human being living a life, and I can't help but notice that stuff happens. Some of it I like, but some of it I really don't like. Why? The question really becomes a puzzle when we're asking it from a theistic perspective. Why wouldn't God shield me from all bad things? It seems like everyone's been trying to find a satisfying answer to that, and yes, we are going to step up and offer our two cents tonight. It's not something you can say in a sentence, and it involves the spiritual heart, the giver, the physics of water channels, the weather, some scissors, and some bifocals. But mostly, it involves the long game. It's not that bad things aren't terrible to go through, and we have every right not to not enjoy them, but these bad things, what's the final result? Is some relatively short-term discomfort worth it if the payoff is right? What is that payoff and how is it enacted? We're going to take a look at that tonight. Stay tuned. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. It's 2016. We made it. And if you thought we didn't, we're going to make it to 2016. You thought about our show. Thank you. I really appreciate uh, having a fan base. Uh, my name is Chris Childs. I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation. I'm going to be the host. And you guys are going to be part of the conversation because we take live questions and comments at the end of the program. Today, we are going to talk about why bad things happen. So in case you like or want to know more about that or you have any kind of association with bad things uh, and the mysteries associated with them, you might want to take a look. We're going to get into it right now with the spiritual heart. This could be kind of cool. These guys are going to talk about the problem of evil. It's going to be a long, in-depth show. They might have something interesting to say, just as long as they don't just say it's free will. The reason is free will. As long as it's, they don't bring the free will thing in, we should be fine. Okay, wait. Oh, I'm getting a letter from the Swedenborg Foundation. Thanks. Sorry, guys. One second. I got to read this. We regret to inform you that, yes, we will be bringing up free will. We're sorry for any inconvenience this might cause to you and your loved ones. Sincerely, the Swedenborg Foundation. Don't turn it off. Don't turn it off. Listen, we are talking about free will, but we have a very good reason to. <laughs> it's important, and it's not something... People sort of picture it like... There's human beings, and God gave us this gift of free will. But if he could just take that free will out, we'd be fine. Like, like free will is sort of a hat. You can either put on people or take off people, and the basic system remains unchanged. But it's not like that, according to Swedenborg. True Christianity 469 says, uh, freedom is what makes a human a human. If something makes something a something... That's a pretty essential characteristic of that thing. Think about the human body. When we, on a physical level, if we're thinking about thoughts and feelings and systems and processes, everything is very, very structured. You can't remove an essential part of this structure and still have the human being be a human being. And I'm just telling you this because on a spiritual level, the nature of free will is akin to this stuff. True Christianity 482 Swedenborg says, uh, both our will and our free choice could be referred to as living forces, because action stops when the will stops, and the will stops when free choice stops. And if you don't know Swedenborg that well, that might not seem that alarming, but the will and the intellect are the two primary 
elements of the soul or spirit, as Swedenborg describes it, and they are akin to the heart and lungs, the will being the heart. So if we could put some x-ray glasses on that would let us see somebody's spirit, free will is their spiritual heart. It's just as integrated. It's just as essential. Think about how a heart, it's got to beat every second. It's always got to be moving or everything's done. If the heart's not working, the rest of the body isn't working. Everything, all the other organs, everything depend on the action of the heart. That's the role free will plays in the spirit. If free will, if we don't have the ability to choose things without being compelled, we aren't able to be the kind of consciousness we are, consciousness that can feel like it is separate from the divine, that it's its own unit. So that is how vital free will is. Does that make sense? True Christianity 485, uh, if we had no free choice in spiritual matters, there would be nothing in us that would allow us to forge a partnership with the Lord. What we accept in freedom stays with us because our will takes it in and makes it our own. It becomes part of our love, and our love recognizes it as its own and uses it to form itself. So it's not that there's us and we're living, and free will is just the ability to choose sometimes. This is how we're constructed. Free will is absolutely, it's a defining factor in the human experience. So you couldn't just brush it aside take it away. Actually, Swedenborg goes even deeper in there in Divine Love and Wisdom, number 115. By the way, click these books if you want to download them for free. Can people decide to love God and their neighbor? Can people decide to gain wisdom unless they feel and sense that what they love, learn, and gain is their own? Can they retain anything in themselves otherwise? If it were not for this, then the inflowing love and wisdom would have no seat. They would flow right through without making any difference, and as a result, angels would not be angels, and people wouldn't be human they would be virtually lifeless. It makes sense then that if there is to be union, there must be reciprocity. In case that's too many words in a row, we have a diagram that we can go to that explains the same kind of thing. Good and truth comes out of God, all right? Stars and hearts, the good, true true ideas and impulses to do constructive things, that's what's coming out of the divine. That little person in our head there, that's us, by the way, that that white 3D human being, uh, that little person in the head, that's our sense that things are our own and our free will, and that is what can grab these things as they're coming through. We can act on them, and by acting on an impulse, we make it part of our life. So that is the situation. Free will is absolutely, you've got to have it. You've got to have it if you're going to be, we always, we think it could be separate because we just think of it as an idea, but there's never been a human being. There's never been a consciousness that doesn't have that free will. So we've got to have it. But let's say we didn't have to have it. Would life be better if we had less free will? Because then there'd be less opportunity to cause problems both for ourselves and other people have the opportunity to cause problems for us. Would that work? Let's take a look at True Christianity 489. Now, you might suppose that the free choice granted to human beings in spiritual matters is immediate cause of evil, and therefore that a free choice of this kind had not been granted to us, we would not be able to sin. But my friend, is he how he says that there? My friend. Um, this is another place. Swedenborg does have a human side. You know, he does have a, uh, 
an emotional side. This is another place in his writings, it's not that particular place, where he uses this exclamation point. He addresses the reader sometimes. He does have emotion, even if he comes off as academic from time to time. So I just thought that that was fun and worth pointing out. But my friend, stop for a moment here and consider whether any human being could be created so as to be human without having free choice in spiritual matters. If this were taken away from us, we would know we would be statues and no longer human. And there's something in us people, I think, that senses that. Have you ever heard of The Giver? It's a movie now. It was a book. The whole premise is there. It's in a future society where, I won't spoil the whole thing, but it's saying, hey, we're going to eliminate all the problems in the world by, by taking away all the ability to think about certain things and access certain things by reducing freedom, and it sucks the color out of life. So read it for yourself if you want. So there's a there's a little reason, but also the bigger reason that it wouldn't be good to take away free will, even if we could, is that to force us into being good, which if you didn't have an alternative, that would be, that would undermine the entire divine plan, the, the reason behind creation. And Swedenborg describes this in True Christianity 500. If we, and okay, so you're going to see some weird capitalization here. That's because this whole beginning part, these like beginning five, six lines is his title of this section. He could really write a title. If we did lack free choice in spiritual matters, then in a single day, everyone on the whole planet could be induced to believe in the Lord. But in fact, this cannot happen because what we do not accept through our free choice does not stay with us. There's your title. If free choice in spiritual matters had not been granted to us, then in a single day God could induce everyone on the planet to believe in Him. But this is only taken as true when divine omnipotence is not well understood. People who do not understand divine omnipotence are able to reckon either that no divine design exists or that God can act just as easily against His design as with it. For more on the divine design, you want to take a look at this show here what God can't do. We released it recently. That's all about the divine design and essentially a form of self-limited or or self-directed omnipotence. For now, we're just saying God acts within his own design. Okay, the next part of this, uh, True Christianity 500, but in fact, without the divine design, no creation would have been possible. The first element of the divine design is that we are an image of God, so that we can be perfected in love and wisdom and therefore become more and more an image of Him. God continually works toward this within us, but if we had no free choice in spiritual matters that would allow us to turn ourselves toward God and forge a partnership with Him, His work would be pointless because His goal would be impossible to achieve. Union with God is heaven. You, the closer we get to God, that's where happiness comes from. Any other way of getting happiness through exploiting various kinds of pleasures doesn't last. It's not deep. It comes with a price. The only true happiness is this connection with the divine. That's the way the whole thing is set up. And the plan from the beginning was the human race and God connecting. But you can't have an actual connection unless both parties willingly enter into it. Otherwise, it's not a connection. It's just a thing that always was. It's not to parties willingly choosing each other. That is where the happiness comes from. So if we couldn't make that choice, heaven, happiness, all that, the point of life, as Swedenborg says it, wouldn't be possible. So it's cool to have free will. That's the message. However, there's a lot of fallout from that, and we're going to take a look at that fallout here and maybe hopefully be able to form a new perspective on it. So let's take a look now at the weather in part two. 
thunderstorms, we're going to begin by talking about these little things here. Wait, I'm going to make a thunderstorm with my fingers. Ah, there. Sorry, it's usually hard to get done the first try. Uh, if you have... If you know about the way thunderstorms are, even about the way that clouds are, they can completely affect the mood. If you're under one and it's pouring, it's windy, or even if it's just gray, that, that sets the tone for the day. However, if you are in an airplane and you break up above, you'll notice that above it, it's sunny and it's calm. Even the largest hurricanes, you get up above them, you're feeling calm. And Swedenborg use this as a metaphor to say that we have all this turmoil in life. Bad things do happen, but they're happening on this outer level. When you go into the core of it, things are ordered, they're calm, and they're moving us in a good direction. He describes it here in Spiritual Experiences 4.18. Permissions in heaven. And now permissions in heaven, we're going to get to that next section, but it's essentially things that are allowed to happen even though they're not ideal because in the end, good comes out of them. Permissions in heaven are pictured in nature by the threefold or fourfold atmospheres, the one being a step purer than the other. And we're going to dip into a little philosophy here, or, or Swedenborgianese. Each subsequent one is composed from the one before and acts upon the next composed atmosphere, both from within and from without, so that in each single part of the last atmosphere, the prior ones are present in their order. While the last atmosphere is troubled by harsh weather... The one immediately prior to it is working quite calmly, both from without and from within its least parts, thus in the part and in the whole. The atmosphere prior to that does likewise still more calmly, and the first one more calmly or peacefully, it being the all-in-all of the following atmospheres, both in their parts and in the whole. He goes on to say, In this way, producing a calm, a prior atmosphere, and especially the first, acts upon the following atmospheres, and through these upon the last one, and restores equilibrium, however turbulent the last atmosphere may be from wind or storm. So there, he's just describing that, the way the phenomenon works. So it is in the heavens, between the heavenly beings and the spirits who form, as it were, a last atmosphere, where there are storms. One standing there would think that the whole heaven was falling because of the appearing storms, downpours, black clouds, yet after their assault they are peacefully brought back to rest in response to the nod and will of God the Messiah. That's from Swedenborg's Journal of Spiritual Experiences. It was not meant to be a published work. It's a little harder to get through sometimes. Essentially, he spends a while describing this phenomenon of atmosphere as a physical thing. Then he says, in the afterlife, you have angels on a deeper level, the world of spirits on a more exterior level. That's, what's, that's sort of the level we're on uh, as far as the, the thinking-feeling part of us is concerned. And it looks like chaos on that outer level, but within it, you have these angelic forces acting upon it. And we're going to take a look at that. But first, let's go back to this, all that terminology you heard in the beginning about different levels and atmospheres. Let's get a little more explanation on what Swedenborg means by that. We have Dr. Ian Thompson to clear that up. So the Sweden, Swedenborg often talks about atmospheres um, being produced and, and descending in some sequence. He talks about discrete degrees. And in this example, he talks about the atmospheres being compounded from the previous atmosphere. So there's a sequence of atmospheres, but each one is compounded from the previous one. Now the word, when we say compounded, we, we don't in this case mean made up from pieces of, like the way we compound a sand to make a rock. But, but in this case, it really means some kind of production. The previous atmospheres produce the later atmospheres. 
And there's a whole sequence of this, and Swedenborg discusses discrete degrees at great length. So the, here we have an example of discrete degrees. He talks about atmospheres. If you want extra credit, take a look at discrete degrees as described by Swedenborg. Here, pause this screen. In the new in the new century edition, discrete degrees is is a translated distinct levels. So that's the phrase you're looking for. These are the numbers in divine love and wisdom. It actually they matter to Swedenborg. They're not just superfluous. They actually learning about those kind of degrees matters. Anyway, this is a tangent at this point. Let's get back to the subject at hand, which is this idea that there can be calm in the middle and chaos on the outside, physically but also within us. And there's actually a lot of testament to that being a pattern in creation in the physical universe. And Ian goes on to describe some examples of how that works. Swedenborg has some physics examples. There are, we can make lots of physics examples. For instance, imagine rain falling smoothly on a flat plane, and then what happens to the water that rolls off the plane? Well, you might think smoothly off the plane, and, but in fact it forms rivers, it forms channels. And what we're seeing here is that slight variations in the way the water is received lead to rather narrow, specific directions of motion, whereas the rain falls uniformly but it flows off in a different way. And so Swedenborg is using this kind of physics to show that even though the influx from the divine or from spiritual things might be smooth and constant, because of slight variations, the, the, the effects and the directions of the motion that comes afterwards are in specific directions. So from the physics point of view, we can say that the, the influx is symmetric in all directions. There's a symmetry in the influx it's uniform, but there's something breaks this, and that means the effects are not symmetric in all directions. And so we, in physics, we say this is spontaneous symmetry breaking. And the symmetry breaking on a spiritual, emotional level is the differences in all of us, and what we need, the kind of things we need to go through or can benefit from. But So why? We have this example, there's physical world examples that mirror what's going on in the heart and mind. That's Swedenborg. Uh, 101, that's like all over his work. But what's the emotional potency of that? Why do we care? Ian explains a little further. Swedenborg uses this to show that when we look around the world, us we see enormous variety of things, some of which we're happy with and some of which we're not happy. And, and, he, and we ask naturally whether this is some kind of providence, some kind of constant background to this, all these events we see. But Swedenborg physics examples to show that this is the sort of thing that we might expect because the, the divine providence might be general um, or it might be specific for each of us, but it's driven by a, a desire for good on God's part and a, and a desire to tell us what's true. But each of us individually responds in many different ways. And furthermore, we respond differently over the times of our life, over the history of our life. The whole process of acting on divine providence leads to many variations in our life, many variations of different people around the world. Not only are these differences in the products, but we have to rely on the providence, divine providence of seeing this in advance to some extent as much as possible and and using this to, to a good effect in the end. That, that last part is the most difficult part for us to imagine how all of these variations and all of these irregularities can be used for a good purpose in the end. And so the point of a divine providence, having some overall management of this means that the, the effects are, are for some good purpose at the end. 
That is hard for us to imagine. How could all these variations in my life, all these things that have happened, how could this actually be leading to a good end? And not even just in my life, I look at the world around me, there are a lot of things that I feel like are not just, are not good. How is this all going somewhere that is heavenly, or how is it all justified? Everyone's got this kind of feeling uh, to, a, to a certain degree, and it's cool to see when people have near-death experiences, and they go, and they're in this presence of the being of light or of angelic presences they, or God, and they get to ask these questions. How does it seem to them? Do they hear the answers, and they say, well, well that's stupid. Let's hear it from them themselves. This is from neardeath.com. This is a woman named Beverly Brodsky, who has a great video testimonial of, of this on YouTube. She's describing she's in the middle of her NDE talking to God. I immediately lashed out at God with all the questions I had ever wondered about, all the injustices I had seen in the physical world. I don't recall the exact content of our discussion. I'm sure that I asked the question that had been plaguing me since childhood about the sufferings of my people in the Holocaust. I do remember this. There was a reason for everything that happened. No matter how awful it appeared in the physical realm, and within myself, as I was given the answer, my own awakening mind now responded in the same manner. Of course. I already knew that. How could I ever have forgotten? And then further from neardeath.com, this is Elizabeth who recorded her near-death experience. What appeared to be a large screen was in front of us. Immediately, images began to appear as though in fast-forward mode. I somehow was able to absorb and understand all of it, despite the speed in which the pictures were displayed. I realized the images being shown were the explanations concerning the hows and whys of the meaning of life. I remember feeling happily overwhelmed, realizing that it all made sense and that it had always been so simple. So simple, yet as humans, we never get it. And then finally, Laura Lynn, our thoughts were conveyed, and I remember thinking, wow, now I get it. Everything about our existence finally makes sense. And you will see that universally in near-death experiences. Everything I've come across, when you hear the answers, you think, oh, that's good. That's okay. So if they, they're just normal people, before their near-death experience, they were just, they weren't like all necessarily into spirituality or had already thought life is okay. You know, you heard Beverly, she, she did not think life was okay. They interacted with the truth somehow, and to them, that was more than enough. So, stands to reason that there is a good reason out there, and it can be grasped, because they all grasped it, but it was hard for them to bring back, so maybe there's some kind of veil there for us. I want to add this interesting thing from Swedenborg, True Christianity 126. He says, when we suffer physically, our soul does not suffer, it merely feels distress. After victory, God relieves that distress and washes it away like tears from our eyes. I always thought this was curious because, you know, the soul or spirit is the conscious part of us, and that does suffer when we suffer physically, but there's some element, there must be some element of we're not being harmed in the way we may think we are, or in the way we think other people are, that there is this healing this sort of regeneration or regrowth there. Take all that stuff I just said, that's the the storms, the storms in the outer part of life. So we're going to take a look now at some thunderstorms, and this is our correspondences meditation, meaning like we were discussing before, everything in the physical world is an image of things in the in the heart and mind or in the spiritual world. So if we look at this physical phenomena, it can actually give us some enlightenment if we come at it with the right mindset onto 
the the deeper spiritual realities it represents. So here's a couple of thunderstorms, and just think about this idea of this is the trouble in the outmost form of life. There is a calm above it, and that's the, the reality, the truth, that when you hear it, everything's fine, but we still feel these storms, and maybe you'll see these storms differently thinking about that truth behind. So here you go. I was walking the other day, walking my dog, and we had this situation kind of like that last one where there was a big uh, rain cloud moving in, but it wasn't there yet, so the sun was still shining, we had this rain when the sun was out, and that is cool. And I wonder if that feels like such a magical experience because it's this feeling of, I understand there's rain, but I know there's a, there's a sun behind it. In case that metaphor isn't working for you, let's think about being up on top of a mountain. This actually was, I heard from somebody who said he, he lives uh, near Tucson. This is a, a picture of LA, but you go up in the mountains above a big city and look down on it and you have this feeling of peace. I don't know if you guys have ever been up on the mountains around a city, but it feels really peaceful to look down at the lights, even though that's a big city. There's a lot going on in there. It's not all good. Not everybody's happy, but from that vantage point, there is a sense of peace. If you picture it on an individual level, that's your life laid out there. All the different kinds of things that are worrying you, that are scaring you, that are aggravating you, that make you feel stuck or alone, or whatever it is that gets you, it's all down there, and there is a higher view in which that stuff is, is relatively small. So there's one way to think about it. Let's take a look at Secrets of Heaven 1013, returning to Swedenborg's commentary. Oh, this is, this is just an account he had of a spiritual world where he saw this displayed very vividly by spirits. Let me add the following as a postscript. There was a numerous crowd of spirits around me that sounded sort of like a chaotic stream. So there's a sound of spirits going on here. The spirits complained that everything was now going to ruin, because everything seemed disconnected among them, which made them fearful that the end was coming. They thought there would be total destruction, as is usual in these situations. In their midst, though, I picked up a sound that was gentle, angelic, and sweet, containing only what was orderly. Angelic choirs were on the inside." and the confused crowd of spirits was on the outside. The angelic stream lasted a long time. I was told that it represented the way the Lord works from what is peaceful in the middle to control what is messy and uncontrolled on the outside. Through this core of peace, he reduces the chaos on the outer bounds to order, rescuing each part from its natural error. There is an operation in the middle of God that is sorting things out. Even when the people on the outer parts were, this is going to be a disaster, but there was something good working. And everything is sort of a scale model of everything else, according to Swedenborg. So that whole scenario also plays out within us. And don't we have a bunch of thoughts and feelings about life? This is all going to be a disaster. How could my life ever be salvageable? But it can be. You see, God is moving the pieces, and He's got the info. He can hook us up. He can do it. 
think about if, if eternity is true, if there is eternal happiness, whatever we go through temporarily, if it contributes to a greater state of happiness, a uh, greater depth or allows us to understand something, experience something in a way that we couldn't before, eventually it's worth it. I mean, you, you just look at the scale of time, you're going to have wanted to have any, have any improvements that you could or have done anything for any good cause that you could, if there is this, this heaven that Swedenborg and others are predicting. So we're going to look a little more at the, that control of evil and bending towards good that, that God does. If you think about thunderstorms, one rolls in and it changes the temperature, doesn't it? It's a lot cooler, it's pulled all this heat out, and we, using heat as a, a metaphor for kind of problematic negative elements in life, these storms in our lives suck that out too, and we're going to look a little bit at how that happens in the next section. The laws of permission, that's what we're going to discuss in this section, and we're going to go to Swedenborg for confirmation that that's a good thing to discuss in a section, because, you know, hopefully he's backing us up on it. Let's see, Divine Providence 234, there are no laws of permission. Oh, should have checked, should have checked these quotes before we started this show. There are no laws of permission, oh, that are simply that or that are separate from the laws of divine providence. They are the same thing. So saying that God allows something to happen does not mean that he wants it to happen, but that he cannot prevent it because of his goal, which is our salvation. So there's no, there's not a separate system for dealing with evil and one for dealing with good. It's all the same system, it's just working in different ways. Whatever happens for the sake of this goal, our salvation, is in accord with the laws of divine providence. Divine providence is always moving away from and contrary to our own intentions. It is constantly focused on its goal, so at every moment of its work, at every single step of its course, when it notices that we are straying from that goal, it leads and turns and adapts us in accord with its laws, leading us away from evil and toward good. This cannot be accomplished without allowing bad things to happen. Now, there's something very strange in that number that I want to look at, but there's so much text, I think I'm going to... I got some scissors here. I'm actually going to cut that part out so we can get a better look at it here, so... There you see, he says, divine providence is always moving away from and contrary to... Stay, stay watching, please. We're making good points. Divine providence is always moving away from and contrary to our own intentions. Why do you say that? God is always trying to do the opposite of what we're trying to do. So if I'm trying to go to the grocery store, God is trying to pull me away to whatever the opposite of the grocery store is, the, like the uh, clothing store. What is that? I don't know. What's he mean by that? Well, that goes down to we have heaven and hell inside us, according to Swedenborg. And we are born with, we have good things, but we also have tendencies toward self-centeredness and materialism. That is something inborn in us, and it's actually stronger than it seems. We may go through life, and maybe some, some of us are like, oh man, I have a lot of issues, I'm a mess. Other people, I feel pretty good, but Swedenborg says that even if we don't realize it, there's a strong gravity in us that's pulling us toward uh, wanting to be better than other people, wanting to possess their things, all kinds of hostile things, and actually that part of us, slightly subconscious, sometimes conscious, is raging against God. 
You know, it, it is um, pushing back all the time, and God is moving us that that part of us it, it is coming from hell, and it wants to go go into hell because it loves that nastiness. But we are pulling ourselves. I mean, God is pulling us up and out, so He's always working contrary to that negativity in us. That's what He's talking about there. All right, let's take a look at a little more about these laws of permission. Secrets of Heaven six four eight nine. This is an older translation, not the New Century. That's why it says Elliot there. Uh, the, that these older translations are also available from Swedenborg Foundation. The providence of the Lord has been conjoined with foresight, and the one is impossible without the others. For evils are foreseen, and goods are provided. And the evils which are foreseen are by the provident disposition of the Lord continually bent to good. For the divine end of good reigns universally. Hence nothing is permitted except for the end that some good may come out of it. But as man has freedom in order that he may be reformed, he is bent from evil to good so far as he suffers himself to be bent in freedom. And if he cannot be led to heaven continually from the most atrocious hell into which he makes every effort to plunge into a milder one. So if you're just going, you can at least go up as far as you can be. There's actually a, few, a couple of words I want to look at in there, so if you don't mind, I'm going to go at this again here. Foreseen and provided. These are two very different operations of divine providence, as described by Swedenborg, and we have a picture to prove it. You have God. That Son is God, and He's sending love, He's sending truth and goodness out into every single person. However, what we let out from us, it can be evil because we have a choice to invert it, to reject it if we want. We're all sending out our positive or negative beams, but God can see this guy, his line out of the back of his head is on a trajectory to hit that other guy accidentally. So God can tell, oops, this is a collision that's going to happen. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to mitigate it. I'm only going to allow something good to happen. The light going into everyone is providence. That's God's direct action. The mitigating effect he's going to have on that evil, that's foresight. He, he's not causing that strike to happen, but he sees just because of how we're turning the, the good into evil, he knows oh, that's coming I'm going to prepare for it. Hopefully that makes sense. That's the difference between providence and foresight. Spiritual experiences, 1088. It is an undoubtable fact that the Lord governs the universe. This government is called providence. But since evils, likewise, permissions are not provided but foreseen, like we just said, in order to understand this, it must be known that foresight relates to evils. Providence is the disposal of them to good ends. Nevertheless, there is no such thing as chance. That is, no evil happens by chance, but all evils are so governed that not one of them is permitted which is not conductive to good, both to man and soul. And further, moreover, nothing is permitted which has not thus been foreseen, for otherwise it could by no means happen. Consequently, the various evils are so turned that certain ones and not others occur, because it cannot be otherwise in a state so perverse. Thus it is providence alone which governs, for foresight is thus turned into providence, and in this way those evils are provided from which there may be good. For if the foreseen intentions of evil spirits were permitted, it would lead to the destruction of man and of souls. Wherefore, the things intended by evil spirits are bent into such things as are to be permitted. I do want to talk about this more, but we're not going to do the scissors thing. That, 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 that's kind of dumb, I admit. Just kidding, we're doing it. All right, I'm going to cut this end part out here. Great. That first sentence there, evils are so turned that certain ones and not others occur. I find that fascinating 
that there are this this host of evil options, and the only certain ones are allowed through. Like there's there's like a bouncer at the door that says, "No, nah, you don't. Nothing good comes out of you. Only the ones that actually, in the end, turn into more good than evil." are allowed through. How does that take place? Why are they allowed through? Can we get more detail? Yes, we can, and we're going to do it in part four. The main thing, and this is not something you have to do, but it's something you can do, the main thing is to believe that there is a reason. There is a reason bad things happen. If you can do that, you, are, you don't need this show. You're already in pretty good shape. However, the, it's nice to hear some specific. It's nice to have it not be so amorphous. Like, we, we want to know specifics. Why are bad things allowed to happen? And Swedenborg just goes ahead and gives you reasons. And we're going to give you reasons, and it's going to be quick in succession. We're not going to justify them too much. But we're going to touch on Swedenborg's answers to some of these big questions. And if you want to read it in more detail, you can download. We'll give The numbers will be here. It's all in divine providence. Let's go to a split screen, shall we? This kind of stuff needs a split screen. Why are evil people people allowed to be successful? That's our first question, because you would think in a fair world, in a just world, um, if you were nice and you were honest and you were fair, you would end up rich and happy and your your family would be nice to you and society would be good to you. And if you were conniving and evil, you'd end up poor and destitute. But it's actually often the reverse. So why does that happen? Swedenborg says... These reasons. To experience that worldly success doesn't bring happiness. Sometimes people who are evil have to go live out the fantasy for their sake of their own spirits. They get to go and they get to see, this is not what I thought it is. Otherwise, they are going to be so stuck with that desire they could never get out of it spiritually. So you don't think about it, but it's actually sometimes for their own good. Also, second one, people driven by selfish motives can accomplish useful services for the sake of reputation. Swedenborg actually says that people who are in love with their own ego and image can do more good for society often than actually people who love other love the human race, love the common good, because they're so obsessed with their reputation. You think about a, a corrupt sort of politician or or one who just wants votes, but he knows, oh, the voters want this, they want that, so gets up early in the morning, works really hard because it wants to win that admiration, that esteem, that people can actually be motivated by that in this this frantic way that, that good people can't. So God can, wants to accomplish things, and providence can use evil people as chess pieces, just like good people, to do good. And then finally, sometimes aggressive skills are needed to accomplish something that kind-hearted people don't feel the drive to do, particularly in things like war. There's a country that's full of people that's going to get slaughtered unless it is defended. You sometimes need ruthless people to—not that those people are doing it for good motives, but God is— pulling the strings on them, so he's turning their evil into good. But if I say that, you might say, well, why is war even allowed to happen in the first place? Isn't that a huge question everybody has? If there's God and there's love and there's providence, why do we have these wars? And Swedenborg says, there are reasons, and these are them. One, the desire for control and possessions can't be kept in chains while still maintaining general human freedom. There is this darkness in the human heart, and it, you just can't lock it away without destroying uh, the minds of, of people. It's got to come out. 
too. Unless evils can surface, we can't see them and be induced to resist them. And isn't this the way it is? Whenever some kind of terrible regime comes up, for instance, Beverly Brodsky mentioned the Holocaust, don't we always, when something's going bad now, point to, well, you know, yeah, look at the Nazis. We don't want to be like them. The human race looks at these tragedies and it reforms based on them. On an individual level, if we feel ourselves having a tendency towards something, or we make some mistake, you know, we get a DUI, something like that, doesn't that make us realize, I've got a problem, and it's got to happen on a larger scale, too? And in that same vein, evils suppressed by providence would stay closed in and would spread and devour everything like cancer. Swedenborg is looking at things, and he says that we should be from a spiritual perspective, meaning we're on this earth for a short period of time. We all have happiness or and unhappiness at times, but it's going to be over. And then we're in this spiritual state, which Swedenborg says is eternal. So the things that are harmful to the soul have to take priority. And if we weren't, if there wasn't this getting this evil out in the open, you know, let, let people go to war with each other who want to go to war, that would never be seen. It could never be removed. And the people with those impulses would would never uh, be able to be free to them. They would be destroyed. Uh, also, the Lord can't rescue us from hell unless we see that we're in hell and want to be rescued. We have to, war is hell, you know that saying. We have to see, no, actually, this power is not what we want. It's not worth uh, the bloodshed that we go through. Finally, to get a little bit weirder on you, earthly wars are a result of spiritual world conflicts. Swedenborg says the two worlds are intimately connected, so actually things that are going on in heaven and hell affect us and push us into things. So there's, it's part of a larger system. Um, then permissions of personal choice also applies on a large scale, like groups choosing to go to war. If we said there's individual free will, we spent a whole section just like whining to you about how important that is. It's got to be, if all those free wills get together and say, we want to have war, there can't be this, okay, well, you're always stopped. You're always stopped because then there's not actually the ability to be in that moment of should we do it or not and choose to not. I mean, that's always what you want, but there's going to be this tipping point. Who's, and then finally, who seems to win in a conflict on earth doesn't in some ways, matter. There are spiritual issues at play. The worldly and spiritual issues are united by a connection between things past and things to come known only to the Lord, which that whole last point is essentially, there's a bigger picture that we don't understand. Okay? We said we'd be brief. Let's get on to the, the real one. In general, why is evil allowed to exist? Why do we have evil? What does Swedenborg say about such things? Ever since the fall of humanity, which is not a literal Adam and Eve, we did a show about that, but this is ever since the human mind and heart began to be apathetic, not care about each other, want to harm each other, take stuff. We're born into a state of being involved in evil. We need to be led away from it in order to be reformed. Evils can't be set aside unless they come to light. We have You have stuff within you. E- evils and goodnesses, tendencies, they're not just sort of ephemeral things. Spiritually, these are objects. This is the way your spirit, your spirit is organized. If there's negative stuff in there, it's got to come out, and you can't purge yourself of something you don't know or you won't admit that you have. Evils have to come almost to action. We have to feel the reality of an evil inclination in order to be purged of it. There is a, you know, if, you know, if everyone would just not choose evil in the moment of wanting it, we could all live without it. But you have to be able to get to that point and actually have that vibrant freedom of, I could do a bad thing or I could not and then you make your choice. So we have to get to that point. Nobody has to commit the evil, but you have to get to that point. 
Also, evils acted out have to reach a certain climax before the built-in consequences begin to affect. This is a very karma-esque thing that Swedenborg describes. Evil carries its own punishment with it. Swedenborg describes in the spiritual world whole groups of people bent on evil. Once they reach a certain boiling point or they've done something particularly bad, then everybody's uh, shaken up, taken off, restrained, made so they can't harm people anymore. The punishment comes on them, but it's got to get to this point. And you sort of see that with people, that you know, if you always sort of looked at something you could do that's bad from afar, if you, sometimes you have to jump into that lifestyle, suffer the consequences, hit bottom, and then you can start to be reformed from it. Uh, letting us realize our evils allows them to be displaced by what is good and right. That follows, when we're being reformed, goodness and evil are brought face-to-face in a temptation which acts to purify us. And finally, I love this last one, sometimes lesser evils are allowed to prevent greater ones. You may not feel like you love that, but it's an interesting concept that there are these things in us that, you know, you see, think about a person who could really, their life could really start to go out of balance, but they have something they're sort of obsessed with, some kind of whatever it is, and that keeps them a little bit grounded. It kind of is a a more organized outlet. I'm being vague because I don't want to upset anyone by listing something as a particular evil, but that as a more organized outlet for their negative tendencies than what they could be doing. There's our list. Those are the things. Download Divine Providence and read it more if you were unsatisfied. I would imagine you would be unsatisfied at least a little bit because there's a big questions, but those are some answers and hopefully they touched on it. I do want to point out that even though it seems like I wish evil could never affect anyone, people who are operating consciously from evil, like I know this is harming people and I know, but I'm going to do it anyway, they think that they have control. They think they have control of themselves. They think they have control of other people. They think they control the events in life, but they actually never have that control that they dream of because there always is goodness behind the scenes operating things. Swedenborg talks about it in his journal of spiritual experiences 401. And he begins this entry with a couple of letters, and we want to hear a little commentary on what that is. NB is an abbreviation for the Latin nota bene, which means note well. So Swedenborg sometimes put it in the margins, uh, especially in his work, Spiritual Experiences, which was a private uh, journal of spiritual experiences not intended to be published. So here and there you'll see NB, NB in the margins, and that just is a note to Swedenborg himself, pay attention. Note well, observe this carefully. This is important. That's what MB means. This is Swedenborg telling himself, this is important. This is really important. So if he thinks it's important, hopefully we do too. Let's take a look at what he wanted to mark up. In regard to permissions, every single thing tends toward the good of the universe or of all. There are also permissions whereby spirits who think they are powerful enough to accomplish anything claim to have the power on their own to arouse evils in mankind and engage in other unallowable and unlawful activities, trying any of numerous methods, even unlawful ones, usually employed in working wonders, thus magical arts. 
We should do a whole show on magical arts sometime, but we'll, we'll get into that. The, the abuse of correspondence is to harm people in the spiritual world. These things God the Messiah never grants, but he is said to permit them to do that which, among many other things, among many things, is to be permitted, as, for example, they're continually wanting to stir up trouble. So God is allowing certain things. So the only things permitted them are those which lead to the improvement of mankind. Souls and spirits, other things are not permitted each and every detail of which God the Messiah so controls and governs that there is not a whit that they do as if by permission that does not lead to the good of many, thus of the universe and of all. For the good of each can be shared with all in the universe, and shall in fact be so shared when God the Messiah's kingdom is established. Essentially, there are, there are evil there are people who are bent on evil, in this case Swedenborg is talking about, in the spiritual world. There are spirits who are always trying to do evil, and they think, oh, look at this, I got to do this evil thing. But really, God is there, divine wisdom is saying, I'm playing chess here. The goal winning for me is heaven for the human race. I'm going to let you have this move here, because little do you know it, out of that, eventually, more good, actually, it's going to be more good than would have happened if you hadn't done that. So only those parts that's actually evil undoing itself, but don't tell evil spirits that, because they think it's going the other way. And Swedenborg says, actually, if you tell them that, they get upset, so don't do it. Secrets of Heaven 6574, Swedenborg talks more about this kind of phenomenon of, of God's guidance and the play between heaven and hell in our mind. So here we have somebody else reading it and uh, a little bit of graphical fill-in to help it go down a little smoother. The Lord allows hellish spirits in the other world to subject the good to trials and tribulations, which means flooding the good with falsity and evil. The hellish put all their effort into this endeavor because when they do, they are in their element, enjoying life to the utmost. At the same time, though, the Lord himself is present directly with the people undergoing these trials, and he is present indirectly, too, through angels. He puts up resistance, refuting the lies of the hellish spirits and dissipating their malevolence, which brings renewal, hope, and victory to the sufferers. In this way, faith's truth and charity's goodness are more deeply implanted and more firmly strengthened in people who possess truth from goodness. It is the means by which they receive the gift of spiritual life. People who have become estranged from truth and goodness, as spirits who inflict times of trial have, intend nothing but evil. But the deity turns that evil to good in what has been the orderly way from eternity, and the result is life for people dedicated to truth from goodness. It is important to realize that hellish spirits who are permitted to attack the good in this way intend nothing but evil, since they want to drag the good down from heaven as forcefully as possible and throw them into hell. To destroy anyone's soul, that is, destroy anyone forever, is the central pleasure of their life. The Lord does not yield them an inch, though, except in order to bring good out of it. The good he seeks is to firm up and strengthen truth and goodness in people undergoing times of trial. The Lord has a purpose that radiates from him to reign supreme throughout the spiritual world, and that purpose is for absolutely everything that happens, no matter how small, to result in some good. For this reason, the Lord's kingdom is called a kingdom of purpose and usefulness. So God is working tirelessly 
for our benefit. And don't think that as we talk about evils and evils being allowed, that God is removed from that or is really pragmatic about it. You're going to suffer. That's fine. Calm down. There's, you know, think about eternity. It's going to be fine. God is very, very much emotionally invested in the whole process. Swedenborg talks about Jesus Christ, which is, if you look at our show, uh, Why Jesus Was Born, you'll see that Jesus is the human God, the visible God. Swedenborg says Jesus was very disturbed. He could, he had the foresight to see how much the human race was going to suffer along this journey, and it deeply disturbed him. Secrets of Heaven, eighteen thirty nine. There's a there's a reason for that. Um, shrinking in horror. This is describing Jesus shrinking in horror at such enormous devastation. The more devoted a person is to the heavenly qualities of love, the more horror that person feels on seeing the end approach. The Lord most of all, since he was moved by divine and heavenly love itself. Nobody cares more about suffering than God. It's not like God is actually feeling the pain more acutely than we are. If you think about, if you're a parent and you have a little kid, you know that the idea of them being harmed is worse than the idea of you being harmed. You hear this all the time. Parents will say, no, you, I would wish it could happen to me if their kid is sick. Instead, you think about God as this so much closer, that everything that we go through is a huge deal. God is not, and God is actually, I'm sure, feeling our pain, and it amplified more. So it's not like he's like, I got this plan, it's going to involve evil, and I'm just going to, I'll be over here while you guys run through this. Now, the, he's in it with us and thinks it's all worth it. So seems like it probably is. And if we can start to look at it from that perspective, we can actually decrease the suffering that we have in this life. And we're going to look at how to do that in our last section. There is something that is called rose-tinted glasses, and I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, if somebody looks at something through rose-tinted glasses, they see only the pleasant parts of it. That is seeing the world in a specific way. What I have on my head right now are <clears throat> providence-tinted glasses, which is not clever. We're trying to think of something clever. It's not, but but it's true, and it just is what it is. It just is like, it's here, and what are you going to do? You already watched this far, you're going to stop watching now. These are providence-tinted glasses, and you want these because these let you see the world from the perspective of the stream of providence. You can't see through my eyes uh, in this shot, but we actually have a camera back here that'll let you see what I'm seeing. So here, take a look. This is the devastation. This is what's in the studio, (laughs) and when you look through these, you don't see the devastation, you see the potential and what's to come after the rebuild, and when things are better than they've been and could only be because they were broken down. This is where you're looking at life and you're saying, man, this is going to turn out well. And Swedenborg says, we can get to, if not being able to sharply focus on it and knowing exactly where everything is going, we can at least be close. Uh, or, or receive levels of comfort from that. And there's a couple of steps you got to take to get there. Step number one, you have to be looking for God. If you're not putting out any, uh, if you're not aiming your satellite dish even in that direction, you, it's never going to force itself on you. Divine Providence 235. 
At heart, people who have no belief whatever in divine providence do not believe in God either. They believe in the material world instead of God and in their own prudence instead of divine providence. This, and, and we all go through phases of that too as well. This may not be obvious because we can think either way and talk either way. We can think and talk one way from our inner self and the other way from our outer self. It is like a hinge that enables a door to open in either direction. One way when we come in and the other way when we go out. It is like a sail that can turn a ship one way or another depending on how the skipper sets it. If we convince ourselves of human prudence, so this is basically saying, the force that's shaping my life is me, and that's what there is, and that's all there is. If we can convince ourselves of human prudence to the point of denying divine providence, then even if we do happen to see, hear, or read something when we are thinking about it, we do not really notice it. In fact, we cannot, because we are not open to anything from heaven, only to what comes from ourselves. Since we are basing our conclusions on nothing but deceptive appearances and not actually seeing anything, we can swear that we are right. Then if we also believe in nothing but the material world, we get angry at people who stand up for divine providence. So if you already are entrenched in that and you're, this is dumb, convince me, but you're not really even saying that, you're not going to see it. You're never going to see providence in things. So you've got to have an affirmative attitude initially. Plus, these things are bifocals. I don't know if they still... They, they make bifocal contacts now, which is insane. These are bifocals. There's two ways you can see providence, if you're affirmative to it. Divine Providence 187, we are allowed to see divine providence from behind, but not face to face. And when we are in a spiritual state, not in a materialistic state. Seeing divine providence from behind but not face to face is seeing it after the fact but not before, and seeing it when we are in a spiritual state and not in a materialistic state is seeing it from heaven and not from this world. To say that tangibly, the first one is pretty self-explanatory. When we're going through things, we're not expected to be able to say, oh, this is fine, I see how it's going to turn out. The best that we can hope for, I think, is to say, there's going to be something good. I know that something is going to come out, you know, help me to at least have some part of me believing that. When you look back on your life, you can see, if that hadn't happened, I never would have, or that seemed terrible at the time, but now, look, it's changed me in this kind of, but we don't have that as it's happening. And then also, it's you looking at it from a spiritual state and not a materialistic one. What that essentially means is, if you think that divine providence is you getting more wealthy and successful and having life go how you want it, and then when you're, when you're removed from that, that means there is no providence. It's never going to work that way, but if you're looking at, at spiritual things, meaning thoughts and feelings, how do I look at life? Am I more loving now? Looking for those as the effects of providence, then you're probably going to be able to see it, or at least see it some. So either way, those are, it's pretty restricted, right? I mean, that's why don't we just get to see divine providence clearly? There's a reason, and the reason is that we would be at war with God. What does that mean? Divine providence 183. It may seem unlikely, Swedenborg says, if we saw divine providence, we would deny God and rage against God. That's the premise. It may seem unlikely that we would deny God if we were to see divine providence and its workings clearly, because it would seem that if we were to see it clearly, we could not help but acknowledge and thereby acknowledge God. However, the opposite is the case. Divine providence is never acting in the same direction as our deliberate love. It is always acting against it. Remember, this is what I was talking about when I cut that stuff out before. This is because from our own inherited evil, we are constantly hungering for the deepest hell. Maybe not 
obviously, but there is a part of us. While the Lord, through His divine providence, is constantly leading us away from it and drawing us out of it, first to some milder hell, then out of hell, and eventually to Himself in heaven. And that is the process of spiritual growth, is to get our mindset out of hell and up, up, up into heaven, and that can keep going on forever. This effort of divine providence is going on all the time. So if we were to see or feel vividly this carrying off and pulling away, we would be outraged. God would become our enemy, and in the evil of our self-centeredness, we would deny Him. So to prevent us from knowing about this, we are kept in a free state where all we can know is that we are leading ourselves. Swedenborg said we would, he says that we would be especially outraged if we saw ourselves being deprived of, of rank or wealth. For instance, there is a giant lottery happening now in the United States, and if we saw that we were about to buy the winning ticket, but God made it so we hit a red light and didn't get it in time, we would be mad. But you don't know how that's going to affect your heart and mind. You don't know how that's going to affect the rest of your life. That's why it's kept secret, because it would be too much for us to bear, because it's a lot of money. Going on in that, Swedenborg explains it further in Divine Providence 183, so we're going to hear that read with a little imagery to set the mood. By heredity... We want to become powerful and rich, and to the extent that these loves are not held in check, we want to become more powerful and more rich until we are the most powerful and most rich of all. Even then we are not satisfied, but want to be more powerful than God and to possess heaven itself. This obsession lies hidden deep within our inherited evil, and is therefore within our life and in the very nature of that life. Divine Providence does not take this evil away instantly, because if it did, we would not be alive. It takes it away quietly and gradually without our knowing anything about it. It does so by letting us act according to thoughts that we fashion rationally, and then it uses various rational, civil, and moral means to lead us away. So we are led away to the extent that we can be led in freedom. Further, no evil can be taken from us unless it surfaces and is seen and recognized. It is like a wound that is not healed until it has been opened. This means that if we were to know and see, with His divine providence, the Lord is acting against the love of our life, the love that gives us the greatest pleasure, all we could do would be to go in the opposite direction, to be outraged, to fight back and to scold, ultimately distancing the working of divine providence from our own evil by denying providence, which means denying God. We would do this particularly if we saw ourselves being blocked from success, lowered in rank, or deprived of wealth. We should realize, though, that the Lord never leads us away from striving for high positions or from gaining wealth, only from an obsession with striving for high positions simply for the sake of eminence or self-seeking reasons, and similarly from gathering wealth solely for display or for its own sake. As he leads us away from these obsessions, he brings us into a love of service so that we look at eminence not for our own sake but for the sake of service. So it becomes something we seek for service primarily and for ourselves secondarily and not for ourselves primarily, and for service secondarily. The same applies to wealth. What we've been looking at this whole time, this whole way that the universe is run, is a stopgap. It's a, it's a band-aid. This is how the universe works since there's evil in it. The ideal way would not be through all of these hard experiences. Evil would not be allowed to happen. I mean, would not 
need to happen. Nobody would be doing it. That's the idea. And it brings me to the concept of equifinality, which unless I grossly misunderstand that word, here it is in case you wanted to read it, um, that is that different methods can bring you to the same end result. So the end result is a freely chosen heaven from the human race. The ideal would be we don't get there through evil and hardship, we get there through love and compassion. So the more we make the good choices, the more we can help us take that path to the final state. True Christianity 457, goodwill makes the connection because God loves every one of us, but He cannot directly benefit us. He can benefit us only indirectly through each other. For this reason, he inspires us with his love, just as he inspires parents with love for their children, so that the God can put love into any of us, and we can go act, because we have that free will to go do it. And then Secrets of Heaven 6737, uh, Swedenborg goes on, when people who are perceptive have feelings of compassion, they, are, they know that they are being alerted by the Lord to offer help. So it's like you're on the job, and you get a text. It's like, I need you to go do this thing right here. That's You feel that compassion. That is God saying, can we do this the easy way? Can we do this the good way? We can be the agents of lifting everybody's load. And that's obvious that we can affect the world for good. So let's go out and do it. And if we want to lessen the load for ourselves and others, looking at the world in the proper way is essential. I mean... It's a pathway to a lot less stress and frustration. It has to do with the way we ask the questions about the things that happen to us. We made a video very, very long time ago, one of the first videos on this channel, and it was about asking questions when bad things happen. We're going to spoil it for you here. We're just going to give you the question and then the updated question really fast. If you want the whole thing, go watch the video, but here's what it is. This question could be phrased a couple of different ways, but I'll say it this way. Why aren't you giving me better stuff? How is this helping me grow? So there it is. Uh, that's the punchline. That's seeing pro acknowledging there's something in Providence. We don't necessarily know what it is, but what good, even imagining potential goods, even if we don't think that's what's going to come out, it, that's not something you're going to be able to watch this show and then go do. It's something you maybe will get one time out of 18, as long as it's a little thing. But starting to cultivate that mindset can get us closer to this actual happiness, which that the heavenly mindset, the only lasting happiness, as we said, is, is trust trust in the divine, trust in divine love and wisdom, that there is this good plan, and it is unfolding, and sometimes it unfolds through hard things, and sometimes it's through easy things. Swedenborg describes that mindset. Peace has in it, and this is again an older translation, peace has in it confidence in the Lord, that He directs all things and provides all things, and that He leads to a good end. When a man is in this faith, he is in peace, for he then fears nothing, and no solicitude about things comes to, dis to come disquiets him. A man comes into this state in proportion as he comes into love to the Lord. And as we're going to look at next week, love to the Lord is a love of service, a love of helping the human race. So the more we have that, the more we believe that the goodness and truth are coming through, leading things to good, the happier we're going to be, the happier we're going to make everybody else. If you want, if this show wasn't enough, there's also 
Why Bad Things Happen, which is a free book. I mean, this is the Swedenborg Foundation. It's the same Swedenborgian philosophy on this problem by Bruce Henderson. You can search us on Swedenborg.com, download it for free, get an ebook for free. Uh, if you want to look into it more, if you want to support this show, please like and subscribe. Please click that like button. That drives up our stats, helps us get out. Click that subscribe. You'll get all our videos. And again, it helps us within YouTube's algorithm. It's a way you can help get the show out. If you really want to support the core of the show and make it possible, please donate. We're a nonprofit. We're not charging you guys for this. We we don't even charge for the books. You can go download those books for free. It's a lot of work, all of it. So the more we can get uh, people who are in a position where they feel like, I can... I can give, and this is fun. That's what we want. So if you guys are being moved by it, feel free to help make it happen. And like I said, we are going to answer your questions to the best of my humble abilities. And that's right on the other side of this video break. Long show today, but we're still going to try to get to the questions. We said we would do them. I will give you mediocre responses on them, as is the custom. And uh, if you want anybody in the chat room, you can answer the questions too, if you like. So let's take a look at our first one. This is Marvin, YouTube. Why can I pray for something for 10 years and then in five minutes someone can destroy it? It is if whim trumps prayer. Yeah, and that's tough. Um, and I, one thing I don't want to do when we're having a show like this is try to say, because of these intellectual concepts, you, you know, you shouldn't worry about stuff like that. You should just be happy. Just trust God. Cause it's hard. I mean, it's hard to feel like, um, to feel like this is something you can just intellectualize your way out of. So I'm saying that's hard. I'm not going to say it's not hard. If you want some Swedenborg theory on it, it would be that, God knows the best way to get whatever it is that we want. We th- we can think I you know I I want this thing I want this thing. God sees what the preservation of that thing looks like. He knows why we want it, how we can best have it. He knows the narrative we have to be taken on in order to get that thing and not just get it on a physical level but get it as a spiritual eternal thing. So it could be that it's got to go for a little while but it's going to come back, and it's going to come back better. And it's, you know, whoever destroys it, you know, as we read, people can think, oh yeah, look at this, I can knock down Marvin's thing that he worked on for 10 years or whatever, but that's not the way it is. Only The only evil that's permitted is some good is going to come out of it. So somehow, when we get to the, you know, the end of the book, it's going to be like, okay, that that was, in the end, this strengthened the thing, whatever it was. That's my opinion on it. Sorry that, uh, that you were experiencing that. Okay, let's look at another one. Jim, when someone's free will is used to kill someone, will that person be allowed to be reborn? If you are asking about reborn in the physical world, according to Swedenborg, the answer would be no. Um, the, Swedenborg does talk about people who have been killed entering the afterlife and actually confronting the people that killed them. 
and saying, what, what did you do to me? And it's obvious there. There's no 48 hours investigation. Did they do it? It's, it's obvious there that they did it. So it must be that if somebody is killed in this life, they have, that's not going to affect them detrimentally in the spirit. You know, that somehow they're going to, their, their trajectory is, is not, they're, they've developed enough they did what they needed to do here. Now they're on to their next phase. Because it wouldn't be, yeah, that that uh, God would just let somebody harm someone's eternal soul. So, uh, you know, obviously, if we're getting into talking about people dying, is that there's no harder being murdered. Is there a harder emotional experience than knowing that happening to someone? But you know, in the moment, you wouldn't say anything about this is okay. But removed from it, there must be some way that it's going to work out okay for the person that that got killed. So. That's my answer to that one. Next question. Lisa, how can we live in free will and God's providence at the same time? So, God's providence is acting against our will. There's the, it's like when you're in driver's ed, you have a steering wheel, and they have a steering wheel, you have a brake and a gas, and they have a brake at least. That if you're about to ram, ram into another car, they can hit the brake. Um, it's not a great analogy, but the point of it is we always get to make choices based on what we think we're trying to do. We can always act out what we're trying to do. Providence is making sure we actually don't uh, cause the harm to ourselves and others we're trying to. It only it allows things in moderation, and it's actually taking... We think we're heading ourselves in one direction, but God is secretly moving us in the opposite direction, or in a more healthful direction. So the free will is about us getting to act on it. It's not about having your plans, having the end result of all your plans happen. Anybody who goes and tries to commit some kind of crime, it rarely works out like you think it will. But you, the free will is... I'm, I want to try to do this. I'm going to try. It's the intent that matters. So our intent is preserved, but God is always managing the effects of those intents to move us. I don't know if that just was a bunch of nothing or if you thought that made sense. To me, it made sense, but maybe I'm, I'm easily uh, amused. So there, that, hopefully you got what I was saying there. Let's take a look at the next one. M. Christina, I'm thinking that sometimes when bad things happen, we can use the pain to get closer to God. What else can we do with it? I think we also get closer to other people, and I mean that by, I've noticed when I go through painful things, it builds empathy, that I I know what happiness is and what it's like to lose it, and when it just seems to have happened that I, I get more empathetic. You see people turn pain into specific action, you know, like somebody who had, who had a specific pain goes on to make some kind of organization that helps people in that situation. So you have that. But then also uh, Swedenborg says that it lets us, the everything negative we experience lets opens us up to the happiness that is its opposite. So if you've known loneliness, you truly understand companionship. So this expands our mind so that we can have a deeper sort of happiness. Those are a few thoughts on that. Let's get to the next one. Robin, what does Swedenborg give as the true story of Job in the Old Testament book of Job. What does Swedenborg give as the true story of Job in the Old Testament of Job? I'm not sure what we're asking here. Um, uh, you know, he says that Job is a, a parable. You know, it's written in correspondences. So 
this is a story that is told in a certain poetic language to inform us of the way that the the heart and mind works and the relationship between God and the person. But maybe I'm seeing, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what that means. So that is my point oh one percent of an answer. And if anyone in the chat room knows, uh, Swedenborg comments on Job a bit, but not at length. It's not like he explains the whole story uh, in there like he does with Adam and Eve, those kinds of stories. Um, so anyway, there, there's a little bit on that. Sorry about that. Next one. Drive-by poet, what does Swedenborg say about sensuality and how it is to be renounced? I get how love of self is bad and that hate and jealousy are part of that, but I don't get how sensuality is bad. Man, I hope you can come next week. We are going to be looking at that entire thing. The spoiler is sensuality is not bad. Not even love of self is bad. They're bad when they're out of order. It's when those things are more important than empathy and compassion, when they are the focus of your life rather than the support. The, the ideal life, according to Swedenborg, you have, uh, you, you enjoy all kinds of creature comforts in it. You even, you know, have a sense of like liking who you are and, you're, and like you can get a little bit happy when things go well for you, but it's not the ruling thing. So please tune in next week. We're going to get to that much more, but but yeah, exactly. Sensuality. But why is that a dire evil? It's it's not. It's just when when it's placed above everything. When it's placed above the lives of other people. So we're gonna get to that. Hopefully, you'll be able to tune in. Okay, let's do a few more. Let's do two more. This will run in a bit late. How can one have peace inside when everything is falling apart on the outside? I would not say that's an easy thing to do. I think it would take a lot of practice. Like you would have to be doing a, you know, whatever your spiritual practice, and for little things, like, oh, I just knocked over a glass of orange juice on the carpet. I'm going to try to be okay with that. Or I just forgot my phone at a restaurant. Actually, that's a pretty big one. I forgot my phone at home, okay? Little things like that to say, I trust you to God. Then, if something bigger comes along, we might have it. But to think, would you can just do it out of there? Um, and I would say, be gentle with yourself. Like if if it happens even once, or even even if you just have the idea come, because sometimes you can say, "All right, I should be having some kind of peace inside," but I can't right now. Just to have the thought of that, rather than be totally in the negative experience, I think it's just a building process, and it just takes like really that. That's like development of faith, you know, like the I. That's the idea of really working at concepts, making them a part of your knee-jerk reaction to things. And it might be concentrating on different things. You know, you might concentrate on some particular, like if something bad is happening to you, think about somebody else, you know, or think about what good can you try to bring out of it. Different strokes for different folks on that. It's a great question. There's a partial answer. Let's take a look at our last one for tonight. Antoinette, can Curtis explain what is the veil we have over our eyes that prevents us from seeing the spiritual? Curtis can try to do that. Um, Swedenborg says we have a physical body and a spiritual body. Um, Both your physical and spiritual body are structured similarly. So you have spiritual eyes, just like you have physical eyes. Um, so it's essentially, your spiritual eyelids are closed. In Swedenborg's experience is he had his spiritual eyes opened so he could get input. We do have 
an input from the spiritual world, you you hear it in thoughts and feel it in feelings. That affects you there. As far as the the mechanism, like I know why it's closed because where there's so much, at least in Swedenborg's day, there's so much evil in the spiritual world that it's just risky for us to be around in there. That the inflow is messed up. We we did a show about why Jesus was born that touched on that. Um, but as far as like the the actual mechanism, I don't know if he talks much about that. Uh, and so I, I wouldn't pretend to know much about that. Um, and then in just a more poetic sense, it it is having our priorities reversed, like we talked about with the last, or the two questions ago. It is having uh, love of self and love of the world on top. Uh, it is hatred uh, towards the neighbor. It is longing to be greater than people. All that stuff makes it so that you can't see the truth. I mean, people, even people who are in the next life, in the spiritual world, but are led by that stuff, really can see less than we can. It's it's only through love of the human race, opening to God, acknowledging divine truth, that's how you really open your eyes. So, so the more we can do that, will that lead to, like, the veil being lifted? You can see angels? I don't know. It sort of did for Swedenborg. We can try and, and, and see what happens. So... Those are my thoughts. Thank you for your thoughts. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. It was a lot of fun. As I've said, next week we're going to do a show on the different kinds of love, how to prioritize them, the, the primary motivations, the fundamental motivations of human behavior, and how to get those straight so that we can get opened up to that heaven. So hope to see you then. Thanks for hanging out.